It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On August 28th, we change the world. On August 4th, we change the world. With Demi Lovato, Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen, Alicia Keys, Tyrese Gibson, DJ Khaled, Joe Jonas, Kermit the Frog, Craig and Mark Kilberger, and your host, Selena Gomez. America, let's unite. We Day on CBS. We Day on ABC. If you don't know what We Day is, ask a 12-year-old. Like, I, I'm so impacted, I can't even describe to you. We Day is incredible! The best field trip ever. Honestly, this has changed my life. We Day is not just one day. It's an international tour that happens every year. New York, Toronto, London, Vancouver, Los Angeles. In each city, tens of thousands of children get the day off school to pack into giant stadiums for a concert, a pep rally, and a revival meeting, all rolled into one. We Day has the world's biggest pop stars. Please welcome Canada's own 15-year-old singing sensation, Justin Bieber. We Day has movie stars and real-life royalty. Let's make some noise for His Royal Highness, the Duke of Sussex. And We Day has a message. We want to work with all of you the change makers to create the greatest possible impact because we want to better our communities and around the world. So if you're excited to take action and oh, yeah. if you are ready oh, yes. to get doing, we want you to make some noise. Woo! Who's ready to help? From Madison Square Garden to the Los Angeles Forum, hundreds of thousands of kids were told that the joy, the excitement, the shared euphoria, they earned it. All these people who make a change in this world, who want to do the same thing as you. And they could feel that way all the time. They could be the change in the world. They could go on one of me to we's life-changing trips. They could work for we. They could even leave with we. For kids who took those opportunities, we was not just a cause, but an ideology, a movement, and a way of life. Later, some of them came to think of it as something else entirely. What would be called culture 
I think we can take the U-R-E off of that word. They called it a cult. From Canada Land Podcasts, I am Olushala Adeogu, and this is The White Saviors. Every kid that I knew wanted to go to Weeday. They were celebrities. People just followed them. Well, how can I do that? How can I be like this amazing change maker? Certain things started popping up. The culture was very toxic. Fear, intimidation, exploitation, emotional abuse and manipulation, idolatry around Craig. I know a lot of people that I knew from the organization are scared to talk about their experiences. I was 13, 14. They got you young. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Wow! We Day 2011, are you ready to change the world? The WE organization famously began as a child-led charity. But by the time WE Day events were launched in 2007, it was a complex organization run by adults with a strict hierarchy. Today, I will take you up the ladder from the bottom to the top. At its height, the WE organization claimed partnerships with over 17,000 schools through classroom lessons and after-school clubs. Kids were taught that working with WE was the way to make a difference. When they were old enough, these students could earn a ticket to WE Day by volunteering or raising money for the WE organization. Gonzo, you're here. Well, of course I'm here at WE Day. Where else would I be? But Gonzo, you realize you have to earn your way to WE Day. Well, Gonzo is out. We need you to go like the WE movement on Facebook because together we truly can change the world. Uh, Gonzo, you're okay? Uh, not now. I'm following the WE movement on Facebook. WE Day is intense. A three to five hour spectacle of energy and emotion. You're hearing all around you, that is the power of we, and this is what We Day is all about. That energy, it comes from a year's worth of actions. 1.7 million volunteer hours logged, 5.4 million dollars raised for 500 different local, national, and international causes. We Day isn't just a day, We Day is a movement, a movement that happens all year long. Mixed in with the pop music, the celebrities and the inspirational speeches at We Day are videos promoting the We organization's own tourism business. If you're watching this video, chances are you're looking for change. Different landscapes, different flavors, different experiences. Ethiopia is like nowhere else on earth. That's when you realize why you're on this trip to change the world. 
We can take you there. For $4,000 and up, kids could go all over the world without their parents. They could go on safari. They could hike through the jungle. And they could help out with their own hands by digging wells or building schools. By helping others, they were also helping themselves gain volunteer experience they needed for their college applications. These trips are called voluntourism. And voluntourism is a big business. Coming to Kenya is something I've had on my bucket list forever, and now I can cross it off because I've done it. And so who's to say that you can't do the same? Start fundraising, pack up, and just come here because Africa does change you. It's changed my life, and I know that I've changed the lives of others. Every kid that I knew wanted to go to We Day um, and learn more about them and learn, like, you know, how can I do that? How can I be, like, this amazing change maker? Abby Dubey got involved with the We organization through her school. They got you young. <laughs> so I was 13 when I went on my first trip to Kenya. Um, and... So would have been August 2011. I was really interested in like actually being able to go overseas and do something positive um, and like be able to interact with people that you're helping seemed really cool. And, you know, it seemed really amazing at first. Um, all of their promotional marketing tools were like just mind-blowing and like totally would hype you up and when we went over there there were a few things that kind of weirded me out. Abby and a group of volunteerists dug ditches for school building projects. Today she questions the value of the unskilled labor she provided as a visiting teenager. We had a lot of conversations with contractors where they told us to redo everything you know, a two weeks worth of work because we were digging in the wrong spots um, or we were being told by facilitators to do the wrong thing. And then all of our pr progress was pretty much negated. As someone who lived in the Western part of Africa for many years, I can say that Abby's concerns were valid. Africa is portrayed as a poor continent. It really isn't. Foreign NGOs and companies take advantage of Africa's irresponsible leaders. It's a problem that cannot be solved by small relief projects. Did I actually do anything meaningful? Then, on a WE organization trip to India, she had an experience that made her rethink everything. We went to a hotel and it was called Arenuas. Um, it was in Udaipur. Um, and they had a child laborer there. Uh, we didn't know much about him or his story. Um, I just remember seeing him when we were having dinner and we all had that, like, that weird moment of, you know, we're building this school, we're on this trip to negate that but we're staying in a place that is like giving money to support child labor. Is, like, is there even a point to us being here? Um, and our facilitators, again, when we talked to them about it, 
they just kind of reasoned it off as like, oh, that's, you know, India for you. That's really common. You're going to see that a lot here. There's nothing we can do, though. Um, it's a really dangerous situation for you to get involved. So just don't do anything about it. And we kind of swept it under the rug. Um, but then I got sick from probably food poisoning and they ended up coming to my room and they sent the boy to help clean it up. If they were trying to wipe out child labor, how could they allow a child servant to clean up her waste? But I think looking back at it now, what bothers me is that instead of addressing it or saying like, okay, you know, we're gonna reach out to Craig and Mark, or we're going to reach out to headquarters, we're going to try and figure out a solution. We're going to try and see, like, maybe we can set up a fund for his education, or we can buy them out, or just do something. Um, it was put aside, and to this day, I have no idea what happened to him. Um, I just know that they kept sending people back to that same hotel after we went, so it just makes me wonder, why is that little boy allowed to be working and a laborer. Here is Canada Land editor Jesse Brown. I spoke with Pippa Biddle, who ran the WE Club at her private school, this extracurricular WE organization club. And Pippa Biddle also went on a volunteerism trip to Tanzania with a different group. She spoke very honestly to me about why privileged teens from North America go on these trips. We all wanted the photo sitting next to the really beautiful black orphan. And that's the reality of, of what we wanted. And there's social capital that comes with being the person in that photo, being the white person in that photo, especially as you're preparing to apply for college. If you could write about how you went to Africa and like learned something about yourself while also saving orphans, like that was the essay to write. It's really hard to explain the euphoria that you get from visual evidence of things that you think were good. Having a photo to look back on and think, wow, that moment I was happy and that child looks happy and I created that happiness. And so you become sort of addicted to creating those artifacts um, and creating that material. And then I think especially with the, the boom of Instagram, sharing it with other people and getting affirmation from other people. And those are just additional dopamine hits over and over and over again. And, and all everything in your brain is telling you like, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. So why would you ever stop doing that? The next level up from being a volunteerist was to lead other travelers as a trip leader. But for this job, in order to work for the WE organization, you had to pay the WE organization. Abby would have to spend thousands of dollars to attend a training program at the Wee Ranch in Arizona. It bothered me that you'd spend all that money up front on this training, but then there's no guarantee of a job afterwards. Um, there's no guarantee that there would be any positions open even. But it did seem a little weird. Like, why specifically do you have to go to Arizona for that? Why do you have to spend that much money? 
Abby decided that her journey up the ladder of the Wii organization would end there. But if she had kept going, the next step after being trip leader would have been to go to work at the Wii Global Headquarters in Toronto. Much of our initial investigation, which was conducted by our reporter Jaron Kerr, focused on the Wii organization staff in Toronto. So the deal for these workers was that uh, the organization would give them a place to live if they agreed to a lower salary. And also living communally in a series of homes that were owned by the Kilberger family. They would go to walk around the corner at the Wii office and then take their vacations on another Me to Wii trip. The organization became their whole lives. Again and again, we were told that they worked around the clock. So when you added it all up, they were paid less than minimum wage. And these were quite precarious workers because they were in a situation where if they ever lost their jobs, that would also mean losing their home, uh, losing their friends, losing their community. It would also mean losing the purpose they had dedicated their lives to since they were children. We ended up speaking to over two dozen former employees, and we obtained internal emails in which this one employee, Dan Mossop-Balkwill, Dan told management that he was concerned there were safety hazards for workers of the WE organization, uh, largely stemming from exhaustion because the hours they would work. Uh, he talked about a colleague who was falling asleep at the wheel on a work trip because management wouldn't pay for a hotel room. Dan said that workers were admonished by management for filing expenses. They were guilted. They were told, you know, if we pay you for this hotel room, if we pay you a living wage, that will result in poor African children being deprived of an education. It was quite a serious list of concerns that he raised, and we also obtained management's response to that email, which was sent to hundreds of Dan's colleagues. And in that response, management attacked Dan personally. They, they said that his email was filled with inaccuracies and that he personally lacked courage and leadership qualities. So that was one story uh, of many that we heard from former WE organization employees. But most former workers would only tell them to us as confidential sources. And one of them provided to us a copy of their employment contract that kind of explained why they needed to be confidential sources. In order to work at the WE organization, they had to sign an agreement not to gossip, not to listen to gossip, and not to ever talk about the organization with outsiders, even after they leave. If they break the contract, the contract says that they might be sued and that, in fact, their children might be sued. So in investigating the story, there was, and there still is, a great degree of fear that people have about discussing what they saw inside the WE organization. 16 former employees who we spoke to likened the WE organization to a cult. Walkers became so immersed in the WE organization that sometimes their families would have to step in. I would say that, you know, my husband uh, described it to be very cult-like. Jill DeYoung worked for the WE organization in 2009. Her title was Associate Director of Development. When the Kilberger brothers were around, it was like they were celebrities. People just followed them like, you know, it's just a very incredible thing to see how people reacted to when they, they were around. She describes a culture of relentless physical labor and constant exhaustion. And I can talk more about, you know, the experiences I had uh, just in terms of preparing for those big, massive events and just the, just the unbelievable uh, things that happened during that time. Uh, we had to get up at like four in the morning 
to go to the GM center to start uh, the load-in. And we would be there all day, like until nighttime, like till way past dark, four in the morning till 10 at night. It was hard just to keep going. It was a little bit bonkers. People were burning out. But if you really needed an extra boost, that's when you dropped your pants. They had like kind of like a health area set up where you would go to this area and you would go into the room and this person would give you a vitamin B12 shot in your butt so that we could continue to to work these, these long, ridiculous hours. Um, it was messed up. The WE organization confirms that a naturopathic doctor was indeed on hand at WE Day to treat staffers. They would not confirm what was in the injection that Jill received. They told us that all treatments were voluntary. Amongst the peers, it was like, well, this is good. Like, you know, this will help you. To her family, it all seemed like too much. My parents and my husband were like, you can't, you just, you have, you can't go back. Like, this is it. You're done. It's over. And they basically did a, um, What's it called when the intervention? They, it, them and my husband were like, you can't work there anymore. This is just, you've lost weight. Like I was actually talking to my mother about it today and she was like, Jill, you had lost like 10 pounds and I'm a very petite person. Um, so basically my parents and my, my now husband um, had an intervention and they're like, you can't work there anymore. And so I resigned. Jill was not the only one. Here is a former employee we'll call Chris. One of my colleagues, her dad had to show up. Her dad had to take her out of that situation and take her to the hospital. Because she couldn't leave. She couldn't, like, she was so beat down and drained and exhausted that those simple things of, like, no, I've, I've got to go. Because when you're in there and you're so involved, the way that it's set up, and the way that it's sold to you and the way that you sell it to other people is that who am I to complain? Who am I to ask for more money? Who am I to ask for more budget? Look at XYZ in the Masai Mara and my request for $5 would feed her for a year. We have changed Chris's name and altered their voice to protect their identity. Chris climbed higher in the WE organization than anyone you've heard from so far and saw firsthand how it worked at the most senior level. Chris worked directly with the Kilburger brothers and saw things that few others saw. The rest of this episode is dedicated to Chris's account. I think going in, like most people, I wanted to help, I wanted to change the world. Um, and then I started and everything was like fast, 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 fast. And you're traveling with We Day all around the world. And you're going to different We villages. You're going to, my first trip was to Kenya. My second trip was to Ecuador. My third trip was to India. And like they're places that you would never, I guess an average person would never really go to. And you're enamored by that. I think that made me ignore certain things that I would see. 
And so it was this weird kind of dichotomy that like you could be traveling around the world or you could be backstage with the prime minister in Ottawa or at the forum in LA. But then in this like weird rundown house without sometimes working heat. So it was weird that way. And then um, it was really weird working with the personalities that were at the top. In years and years of working and knowing him, I don't think I can describe the real Craig. I can describe a side that he showed me. I can describe a side that he showed board members. I can describe a side that he showed corporate partners. But the Craig I first met, he's one of the most arrogant and condescending people I've ever met. And I remember the first time meeting him and going to shake his hand. And as we shook hands, he was already looking behind me to see who else was in the room. I don't know what, it like, what it's like to feel like you're a servant or somebody in a, 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 like a caste system that's below, but that's what it's like being with Craig. Like you can literally be in the same room as him and he will not acknowledge your existence. And it's just the two of you in there. He was saving the world and we were along for the ride. And so like, if you think of a Wizard of Oz, it's like everybody sees the yellow brick road from the outside and then you come in and you're like, oh, what the fuck is this? I think a lot of people, me included, thought it was me. Well, I must be misunderstanding something. I must, maybe I'm just really negative. Well, we don't speak negative and it's this toxic positivity. According to Chris and other former employees, the WE organization did not just demand your time and your work. It demanded that each employee be a culture carrier, someone who embraced and spread the core values of we. We had to memorize the story of like, poor Ibamasid, like young child, like, like we had our values and we were publicly humiliated if we weren't able to rifle that off to Mark immediately and perfectly. And he would even hand out $20 bills, like if you got it right. It was Hunger Games style training where we would all be in a room um, of one of the buildings on Carlton and we would be grilled. What are our values? How do you say them? How do you explain what Free the Children is? And you would be eliminated. Why do you not know? You need to be better than this. You need to be like, and then the people that did it well got a 20. It was like, let's motivate them. When you're there and when that's happening and when people around you are crying and terrified, and again, this goes back to, this is why so many people don't speak up. Our reporters heard these kinds of allegations again and again about their workplace culture. We says these stories represent an insignificant number of employees. They responded and said, Hundreds and hundreds of people have worked here over the years, and everybody else agrees this is a wonderful place to work. And they said that they could prove it. In our most recent survey, we were delighted to see that 95% of our employees believe that collectively we is achieving our social mission. 90% feel they are personally connected to our mission. And what I am most proud of 
is that when asked if you love your job, our employees are answering yes. They sent us what they described as an independent study of their workforce. The independent report is attributed to someone named David Baum, PhD. David Baum describes himself as a conversation architect. And he wrote to us that Craig and Mark are, quote, the most dedicated, caring, and loyal leaders I have encountered in my three decades of experience. So we got curious. Who is this David Baum, this author of this uh, independent report? It turned out that David Baum has worked for the WE organization for years. I was introduced to this guy, David Baum, who introduced himself to me as I am the spiritual and psychological advisor. Think of me in those terms. I was like, okay, what, like, what the fuck is this? Chris and his colleagues would open their agendas to learn that someone had scheduled counseling sessions for them with David Baum. These were not optional. He's like, I, I fly in from Connecticut to help out because I'm so enamored with who Craig and Mark are. And I want to help them succeed. And I want to help you succeed. So use me. Ask me questions. I'll ask you questions because I want to see you succeed. Was kind of the setup. And you're sitting there in this room, sitting on a couch. He's sitting on a chair. Like it is the exact same setup as being at a therapist's office. Employees were encouraged to pour their hats out to David Baum. He would ask questions about other employees, about how they thought the WE organization was being run. Did they have any concerns? It felt very weird and very manipulative. But what I learned over the years was it was a setup. And everything that we told David was reported directly back. Chris and his colleagues came to suspect that David Baum was using these intimate sessions to collect information from them and feed it back to Craig and Mark. His colleagues eventually came up with a word for this. They called it getting bombed. And they came up with a clever way of confirming their suspicions. Over the years, we started to fuck with them. We started to do our own misinformation campaign where we started to give false information to see if it would come back, and it would. Once we caught on, it was so transparent what was happening. I think it was also a test on what are your loyalties. The WE organization confirmed to us that yes, David Baum fed information from these counseling sessions with employees back to management, but they say that employees had consented to this. IRS filings tell us that WE Charity paid David Baum over $750,000. So he was not independent from the organization, and it was not just a professional relationship, it was personal. Craig and Mark have called him their mentor. They've referred to him as their personal Yoda. And David Baum presided over the ceremony at Craig Kilberger's wedding. It is fitting, perhaps, that David Baum stood in for a priest at Craig's wedding, as Chris likens the WE organization to a church. If you define a church as an organization that's after power and money, absolutely. 
Um, and the way that they get their power and money is by selling saviorism and selling community or connection. And the way that they keep you there is by making the web really sticky and making you feel like if you leave them, that that's what you lose, then absolutely it's a church. You're not wearing a crucifix, but you have to wear a rafiki. You're not going on a pilgrimage to Mecca, but you're going on a pilgrimage to the Masai Mara. And there definitely was that, oh, well, how many times have you gone on trips? How many schools have you built? How many? And like, again, it's not like showing off like the size of your diamond ring, but it was like showing off the size of your commitment, the size of your givingness. Chris struggles to explain. Why didn't they simply leave? We believe what they stood for. We wanted to help, like, so many people, donors, teachers, students. We jumped in with two feet because we wanted to be there. We believed. And then we started to have questions. And we made ourselves wrong for having questions. And then you blame yourself for doubting yourself. And then they come back after you've doubted and they ask you to double down to show your loyalty. So you get in even deeper. You do more to prove yourself, to prove that you're part of things. And then you start following orders that you know you shouldn't. And you're told, change those numbers. That's not what we want going to partners the corporate partners. Yeah, it happened tons of times where results going to corporate partners, what we are to share with donors, what we are to share with board members, what we're allowed, like everything was so well scripted and there would be showdowns for crazy. You will not talk about that. You will change this number to this. It was about withholding I would call it lying by omission. And it was actually about deceiving. Like that number is not good enough to go in front of a corporate partner. Times it by 10. Chris was one of two former WE organization employees who told us that they were instructed to fabricate or inflate numbers describing their charitable impact before that information was shared with partners. The Toronto Star later reported that two other senior WEIR organization employees also said that they were told to inflate numbers before presenting them to partners. The WEIR organization denies that any of this ever happened. But those kinds of demands and other similar demands are what we were told a lot of former employees found very difficult. A lot of people who worked there said, you know, they accepted going in that they would be working very long hours for very low pay. That's kind of what they expected when they went to work for a children's charity. The breaking point for these people was not the burnout. It was the moment they realized that they were not, in fact, working for a children's charity. We has a strong partnership with Microsoft. The WE organization is excited to team up with our friends at TELUS. This is where Allstate has been so amazing. So today we want to announce a new partnership with Dow to bring some exciting programs right here, some exciting programs for your school. So please join me in giving a round of applause to the Chief Executive Officer of Dow. Andrew, please come on up here. That's on the next episode 
of the white saviors. The White Saviors is written by Mark Slotsky. Narration and script assistance by me, Olushola Adiogo. Production by Jesse Brown and Kevin Sexton. Mixing and sound design by Chandra Bulukon. This series is based on reporting by Jaren Kerr, Jesse Brown, Jonathan Goldsby, Marco Chan Ovet of the Toronto Star, and many others. Special thank you to the Guelph Politocast and Eli Reader. For more details on this story, including a list of our source material, full articles and complete responses from the WE organization, visit canadaland.com slash white saviors. If you like the white saviors, please subscribe and review. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.